Hey, Brad. Yeah. I got Windows 2004 oh, last night. You're in the future. You're living in 2004 I, now. I, I haven't installed it yet, but I have a full command line interface. It's like the late night man used to say in the year 2004. <laughs> so, so I have no idea what that is, actually. Wait, what? No, I've never heard that one before. That's the, the Andy Richter, the Conan, that's the... The previous iteration of Conan O'Brien, or was that two iterations ago? The, the first one on NBC? The first iteration of Conan O'Brien, which was, I believe, Late Night? Late Isn't Night that? with late night, Conan O'Brien. Late Night with Conan O'Brien, his first real late night show. That was, do yeah. you ever, do you'll remember that? I, look, you'll remember man, it's, the it's, in the year 2000 bit? Brad, I'm going to go ahead and tell you something in bad. In the year 2000. I'm, I'm super hoarse right now because yeah, I'm slightly hungover. <laughs> no, that, look, that was 20 years ago, man. Ah. Uh, more than that actually like yeah 22 23 24 years ago 25 that was it, when i was in high school so that was like 20 maybe 25 years that ago. that might have been the time period i wasn't watching because if when you were in high school i would have been in college and i was just i i was doing other things yeah yeah what is it about college that makes you not watch tv i didn't have a tv for yeah. a while okay that was me too actually <laughs> yeah and then i got a tv and it was mostly used to play nhl 96 it sure. turns out okay yeah it's a good collegiate yeah. activity. <laughs> yeah. Well, like it, it's the one time at that time in your life, in my life, at least being able to play multiplayer games was a brand new thing. Like having constant access to multiplayer games was new. Having constant access to people around to play them was also. Yeah. You, didn't yeah, to, you didn't have to like drive to somebody's house. They were just around. Yeah. You could just be like, hey, man, uh, I got the four tap. You want to play some NHL? And you'd be like, yeah, I'll play some NHL. Yeah. Um, that's what that's what living in the future is. So the, the, I got to say the first thing that windows 2004 did is I have this task scheduler thing set up to run a Python script that makes my audio controller work with my interface. Right. Mm. And the first thing windows 2004 did was break that. Nice. So, Great. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's the, that is the, that's the, the dark secret of living the streamlined automation life in windows is that it's just a giant house of cards. And <sighs> yeah. So task you, scheduler seems like it maybe doesn't like Python scripts now or something. I, I don't, but I I think don't. I can just like load the WSL stuff and set up a cron tab and maybe never think about this again. You spend hours and hours setting up task scheduler and group policy and uh, shortcuts of all varieties. Yeah. And Along comes a Windows update and just goes. And it all, I, it gonna, all, it here, all collapses. I, I have not spent as much time engaging with task scheduler as you have. Sucks. It's terrible. I, it's bad. It's, yeah, it's I was going to say that the it's secret awful. of it is it sucks ass. It doesn't yeah. work. No, it doesn't work reliably. It doesn't do. It doesn't schedule tasks, which is right I there mean, in the name. No, no it schedules it does, them. It does, but not reliably. It's not always clear what user is running them. So sometimes the thing you want to do, you don't actually have like privileges to do. Well, and and also and also sometimes like the one job that task scheduler has is to look at some conditions and when those conditions are fulfilled mm -hmm. to do a thing. Sometimes it looks at the conditions, the conditions are fulfilled and it just doesn't, and it just doesn't do anything. Yeah, totally. Well, that's what I'm getting at sometimes. And it doesn't tell you why that's the thing. It <laughs> no! might, it might have tried to do the thing and was told by the system. You don't have the rights to do this, but it never tells you that. But I can't like, I, I was, I need to find like the command line interface for task scheduler so I can run a task to see what's happening at the console. It has, it has that I can, uh, we can talk later or I can just tell you right now what it is actually. Hold up. Yeah. Tell me, tell I've me got, right now. I've, I've got a whole bunch of them set up right now. I've got, do you want to know what this is going to turn into the whole episode if we keep going do like I, this? Do I want to know what love is? Yes. Show me. Give me a moment. Do you want, do you want me to tell you what uh, command line stuff I have set up that I can just type a word in to make happen? 
rather than um, navigating. This feels strangely kinky, but okay. Uh, for example, because you know, like most of the stuff in Windows, you have to navigate like five layers of menus, right, to find the button yeah. you want to click. Yeah. So, like, I have automated things like switching between the light and dark theme in Windows. So why would you ever switch between the light and dark theme in Windows? I, I like the light theme during the day and the dark theme at night. Doesn't it do that automatically now? No, it does not. That's what we've talked about this, man. So I, I thought have, it did that automatically now. I have shortcuts for I have shortcuts called light and dark. And I can oh pop I could I could pop up the start menu and type light and it will automatically switch to the light theme. Uh, I have a I have one called desk swap that will swap which one is my primary desktop. Wow. Um, I've got a variety of them that uh, mute and unmute various input devices, sound sound input devices. Oh yeah, that, that's like a, my, that's a near soft jam right like there, a, right? Yes. Uh, no, I use Task Scheduler for that. But uh, okay. hold up, let me tell you. I was just going to tell you. Um, schtasks.exe is the command line version of Task Scheduler, so you can run schtasks slash run, and the name of the task. That's for automating. That's, that's this for is your, a fantastic, incredibly useful cold that's, open. That's for your automating purposes. We'll talk more later. To Brad and Will made a tech pod. I'm Will. I'm Brad. How you doing, Will? I'm over here making a tech pod. How about you, man? That's right, man. It's just here we are on a Saturday morning, feeling just feeling lively and crisp, ready to talk. Ev- everything's great. Yeah, nothing bad at all. <laughs> Whatever. I'm sorry. Yeah, Things no, are fine. I'm just re- I, look. They're not fine, but they're fine. Yeah, everything's fine. I slept on the couch last night, Ooh. not because I of any infractions. Okay, I didn't do anything wrong. Okay, uh, but you just couldn't we, be bothered to get up. No, uh, the, my daughter has been in in our room the last couple of nights and ah. we are a queen size bed house. So I it's see. three people in a bed is too many that's, people. That's a lot. So I discretion was the better part of valor last that's, night. And I chose to just, uh, you know, couch she, sleep. She, she's enough of an actual little person now that she f- occupies a full half of the bed. Not so much like a two people oh, plus plus a tiny, tiny, a tiny human like this kind of. If she just occupies half of the bed, it's she's do, she's doing better than she ever has. She's a, you know, she's she's a full sprawl sleeper. It's okay. like arms, yes. legs in yes. all a starfish positions, yes. punching so. punching way above her weight class on yeah. the yes. bed, bed occupancy. Yes, her mass to volume ratio is is <laughs> off the charts. <laughs> oh boy, um, but uh, yeah. So we're we're a little th- things are we're great. We're yeah, doing fine, great. Fine, that's um, fine. T- what are we going to talk about today? Well, first off, yes, I want to point out we're still reading Hitchhiker's Guide. Uh, yes, we oh, are. Brad, you got to get on this. It's coming I know, up. I know. I need to get. So I, I read. I read both intros. I read. I read both like oh. the, the the forward and the introduction. The Neil Gaiman one the forward, and the Douglas the Adams one, written by Neil Gaiman, which largely restated what was written in the introduction by Douglas Adams. But <laughs> that's okay. Yes, I, found, I, I will say this. Uh I found the Douglas Adams authored introduction wildly more charming. 
I, nothing, look, nothing against Neil Gaiman, but like there was something. There's just a certain lilt to the way that Douglas Adams, like his phrasing. It's, that, it's like if that's if that's what I'm in for, I'm excited. Let's, that's what I'm trying to say. We'll, right? we'll get to this when we talk about the book. But the thing that has struck me rereading this is how much of modern discourse is shaped by the weird quirks, especially in our friend circle, okay. by the weird quirks that Douglas uh, of of the Douglas Adams's use of language. Okay, great. Um, I'm excited about that. Like, there's just something. Something about like that. There's a certain idiosyncrasy of like speech patterns that I really go yes. for. It's like in, in the intro, I, like it stuck with me. That's how memorable it is that like he was talking about being drunk in a field in Austria. Yeah. When he, when he had the idea for the book outside Innsbruck. Yes. Like his the way he described his drunkenness was uh, if I remember the phrasing, we are speaking of the mild inability to stand up. Mm hmm. <laughs> it's like okay you got the point across that's very those are very tidy and economical and slightly charming way to get that I idea across. Yeah, the, yeah um so it's been fun rereading those uh we're uh this was our our like our challenge for hitting a thousand patrons we're at a, almost 1100 now wow so it's jeez yeah a lot of thanks. people signed up this wow, month a lot you. of people are stoked about it everybody wants to read hitchhiker's guide <laughs> thank um, you ever that's wow that's that's flattering um i the last thing i'll say about it real quick is i i it doesn't look that long. It's maybe not. It's, maybe it's the omnibus edition that I've got. But like I thought somebody had said it was like your kind of standard 300 page novel. But like in, in, in the omnibus, it's like 180 pages or something. It's it, it's like th it depending on how fast you read. I think my Kindle told me it was going to be five hours. Oh, OK. Yeah. Yeah. At the I'm outside. Getting, yeah. So. I, uh, not a problem. I got I got plenty of time. And I'm, it's a good Sunday afternoon. Yes. Yeah, so I'm getting ready to get into it. And I'm, I am looking forward to it. I know somebody at least one person I've seen on the discord said they just finished reading it for the first time and were just in love with it. So it's it, it is it is one of the things that we'll talk that I want to talk about is it is striking to me how prescient it is for a thing that is written in the late 70s about the modern technology of today. I don't know if that's a good thing or not. Uh, pros and cons. Okay. Anyway, yeah. uh, today, today we didn't mean to make this NVIDIA month, but NVIDIA, oh. uh, yeah. Like I announced, I, we went into this podcast with this topic in mind and it occurred to me, like, we probably need to say, like, this is not sponsored by NVIDIA. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, no, we, this, but we, we but, are doing this show purely because this is a very newsworthy topic. Well, I mean, the new GPUs came out and they were also worthy very newsworthy. discussing. Yes. Um, yes. So it's just like NVIDIA has no chill at the moment. They just keep dominating the news. Well, yeah. And and we had the game streaming thing last week, which was not entirely an NVIDIA thing. But no, like no. The, the thing that I like best and I think is the maybe not the easiest to use, but the best results is the is the NVIDIA solution with Moonlight. Can I ask real um, fast not to derail yeah. this? Um, how is Moonlight? I don't know if we I don't know if we covered this. How is Moonlight on the physical Steam Link, the actual box that Valve sold? Like, is it adequate? So that's where I run it. It seems like the hardware in the so the, um, because that 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 hardware cannot do H.265 is the reason that I ask. So that's, I wonder, that's it. So I wonder yeah. if H.264 is up to the task. It's fine for 1080p. OK, I have not tried. You can't do 4K on the Steam Link. Yeah. Um, OK, the. the the setup is a little fiddly. Like there's not an auto updater for Moonlight. And I'm not sure if that's because Moonlight is still early or if it's that there's some limitation of the Steam Link that won't let applications update themselves. Okay. But 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 um, just performance latency wise, it's fine. It's great. Okay. I played a fair amount of uh of uh, Death Stranding or, or Death. uh Watch Dogs 2 last night. Oh for okay. yeah, using it. I might so. actually I might actually get that Steam Link out of the box and put Moonlight on it and see how it is. If if 
if you haven't, so I use one Steam link that is Wi-Fi, one that is Ethernet. They both work fine. Okay. The Wi-Fi one is a little bit, occasionally you get graphics artifacts. Uh, the the wired one, I never see that. Are there kind of your commercial video streaming entertainment apps available for the Steam link? Probably not. Not really. Okay. So like you can get Netflix for it. Right. Okay. That's what I meant. Okay. So it could not be like a good Apple TV replacement necessarily i think you're better off with a dedicated piece of hardware for that that is not okay. the, okay. the the so the flip side of that is i think probably uh i haven't i just got ios 14 on or tv os 14 on my apple tv yesterday so i haven't tried the new support for controllers but theoretically they fixed controller support with this release of ios oh or tv os wait was it broken before well, so it supported all the sticks and buttons except for the clicky the sticks on the right. on the Apple TV and the iOS devices were the MFI standard. So they would map to that, which meant there was no clicky sticks, which is fine if you're playing games built for iOS, but if you're trying to play stuff that's built for the PC that expects to have clicky sticks, you had like situations where there were weird chords where you had to like press the Xbox button on your Xbox controller and it was it was not great. No. Um, so, but today we're talking about why this, this arm NVIDIA deal, and it's, it's an interesting, the reason we're talking about it is because it's one of the biggest semiconductor deals of all time. Yeah, for sure. Um, NVIDIA pe- has acquired yeah. arm for $40 billion in cash and stock. Yes. From NVIDIA so- is the biggest yeah. semiconductor company right now. They're the yeah. biggest chip designer. Yeah. Um, uh, and it's, and it's important because the two parts of so NVIDIA, we all know NVIDIA because they make video cards and they they made the switch CPU, GPU, SOC, you know, all, all of this other stuff. Games, um, mostly games kind of applications is where they have been known for ever. Right. But but the games are kind of the secondary part of NVIDIA's business these days because it seems like they're they're trying to be the the hardware that runs the machine learning infrastructure of our future of of future compute like I kind of had an inkling of this before but like this deal has made it very obvious that NVIDIA is kind of leading this whole other life I feel like like they kind of they kind of have a double life now right of like that everybody knows them for their gaming applications but like they're getting into data centers and machine learning and potentially some other stuff off of this deal that is, has nothing to do with games. Well, they've, they've been in that for like, it's, it's, there's no, there's a very good reason that they released Ampere first as a data center product, right? Not, or as a compute, you know, a machine learning compute product, not yeah. a gaming product. Yeah. Um, so arm, if you don't know what arm is, arm, uh, is a chip designer, uh, design company out of the UK, uh, that, Basically spun out of Apple and Acorn, I think. Did uh, or Did Apple really? and Acorn started it? Uh, I didn't know that. Hold on, I, I want to make sure I got that right. I I had no idea. Arm Holdings or Arm Limited now is the. Uh, yeah, so Acorn Computers developed the Acorn <clears throat> Risk Machine architecture oh. in the eighties, huh. <laughs> and then oh, Apple puts money into them. That, that's where Arm comes from. Yeah. Uh, but now ARM stands for Advanced Risk Machine okay. rather than Acorn Risk Machine, which is I what they originally did. Anyway, I see. the point is they design CPUs and then license that technology out to everybody. And and they, um, unlike Intel, which, say, designs a CPU and then makes that CPU and then sells it to you. And that's the ARM, only way you can get it. Yeah, that's, that's it. ARM says, hey, 
here's all the bits that go into our CPUs, these SO, these, these systems on a chip SOCs. Oh. Um, you can get whatever you want. You can take the pieces you want. You can like if you want this. Here's a package. Here's the the overall box, and then they, you can kind of Chinese menu it out where you say I want one of this math coprocessor and six of these linear math ex- uh, accelerators and you can take the bits that they give you and assemble them however right. you want like, and like Lego uh, and like if you're Apple for example you can be like hey you can keep your GPU we have your own we have our own now right and we're gonna right. put our we're gonna put our own GPU on the die with your your arm stuff exactly um so so you're licensing an instruction set and a, and a, a chip design is my yes. understanding with arm yes i i wrote um, i started writing the notes like i don't know that either of us are equipped to get into this or if we even need to the whole kind of like cisc versus risk dichotomy we can talk about it a little bit but like I, I, this- like i have i've been i've been interested in what it means for 25 years but i've never 100 percent gotten my head around it yeah uh, uh so uh or should we even should we even like talk about what an instruction set is for people that don't know? Like it's so, so it's, it's essentially yeah. it's it's essentially the very base level operations that a CPU is carrying out inside itself, right? Uh, pretty much, and and so at one level, there's like the Turing, the set of Turing, the things you need to be Turing complete in a computer, which is like you know, to, and to be, to be clear, and and doors. Clear, you're, you're talking Alan Turing, not the I, Turing GPU. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm talking about Alan Turing, who the Turing GPU is named after. Yes, yes, yes just just to be clear. Um, so so at like the low level, all of the math that happens in the computers is like four or five different kinds of mathematical operations. Right. right. But when you go up a level, then you start to build specific functions on the chip that are hardware accelerated that make certain types of math faster. So. Right. Like the difference between integer math and floating point math is a good example of that. Right. If you think back to the old, you know, 386, 387 days, Intel said, okay, we're these are mostly integer processors. And if you need floating point math, then we'll, you know, you can buy this extra yeah, 387 we'll, we'll chip sell you, we'll sell you a, in. A math coprocessor that you yeah. can stick on your board. Yeah. And then eventually that that logic started being included just inside the CPUs because it made sense. Well, because the the it turns out there were a buttload of applications for floating point math, right. massive amounts of floating point math, like yeah. games. So, like, I don't, like I, don't, I don't know if I don't know if um, if this is illustrative or not for people who aren't computer scientists, which I certainly am not. But for example, you like you can go on Wikipedia and just pull up a list of every instruction in the x86 instruction set. For example, for example, and, and you can scroll down, and it's literally just like. Like there's an operation called add, which adds there's like add with carry. There is convert byte to word, compare operands, convert word to double word, decrement by one, signed multiply. You know what I mean? Like those are yeah. just and, and to, to be to clarify for my own benefit as well as anybody listening, like those are. Those are fixed functions that are implemented in the hardware of the chip, right? When you are talking about somebody writing machine code, they are writing code that calls these specific instructions, right? Right. right. Um, so whereas or if and, you write and, a C program, yes. you write a program that has some basic human readable logic that isn't just a series of math instructions that then becomes translated into that by right. a compiler. Right. So, yeah. So like, f- so everything from at the end of the day, like everything from the highest level, like Python or JavaScript or whatever, down to C to any compiled language, like at the end of the day, all that's actually happening on the CPU is these instructions being it's executed. interpreted down into this. It's stuff, just yes. the compiler is what handles turning the human c- code into machine that's operations. It. And okay. And so, so in, the, in the nineties or late eighties, I guess, 
uh, the the CPU architectures had gotten large, and the instruction the instruction sets were increasingly complex. complicated. Complex, you might say. Well, that was that's a retronym, you know. The, Is it? the complex was a response to reduced, reduced instruction set computing. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So so these guys, uh, I think the MIPS people came up with this first, but it seems like it was maybe developed in parallel at multiple places. What ri- like, like the hey, concept of risk? Yeah, I think we, it, I think I read this morning it started in Berkeley. I think it started in academia. Uh, well, anyway, but the, the point is, uh, rather than have a large, complicated set of instructions that did a bunch of accelerated things, they were like, why don't we just make all the all the processes run faster and keep them simpler? Uh, and I think specifically a fixed length. So where complicated instructions could use multiple cycles per compute, these these are the same size instructions that run at the same speed so you can do things more. OK, OK. okay. We're so getting like the, into the, computer science stuff that doesn't yeah, matter yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. Or and that's pretty for well, out of our depth. But, so you're and, saying like the instruction has to like execute and complete within the same cycle. Kind of, kind or of within a sp- specified number of cycles. I see. I see. The the other thing that is important to know about all this stuff because this was like in the in the '90s when Mac and PC people were crazier and would yell at each other about which <laughs> computer was better. Yes, you'd hear all this risk versus risk stuff. Yes. back then of, there was of, an appreciable difference. A lot of, a lot of but, power PC. Like people would wear power PC T-shirts and stuff like that look, back then. People wore all sorts of bad T-shirts. <laughs> and like I had one of those color shifting T-shirts. We don't need to talk about sartorial mm. choices. The point is, in the modern context, there isn't really a CISC versus RISC anymore. Okay. There are RISC CPUs, RISC instruction sets with complex elements, and there are <laughs> complex instruction sets with RISC-like elements. Okay. They're all, everything's mishmashed together yes, now. Yes, multiple people who absolutely know what they're talking about have told me basically that, like, yeah, even a, even a modern x86 CPU has RISC-like elements inside it. Well, I mean, the, the, the point... The big the big thing we we should do an episode about this because it's really interesting. But the Pentium four was a turning point for all of this stuff because the Pentium four, they were like, we can make these really crazy, complex, super deep pipelines and we can predict what's going to happen fast enough that we can run it at like five, six gigahertz. It's going to be so fucking fast. It's going to blow your ears off. It's going to be the most amazing thing ever. And then it didn't work. And that was the moment <laughs> that like the Cisco wave broke and okay. they were like, well, we maybe we should simplify this whole thing and make it just, you know, parallel, yeah. real parallel. So anyway, uh, so I mean, back to I guess back to the actual topic at hand, moving back to the ARM stuff. Um, my understanding of why ARM is so big in the mobile space is that primarily it's because it's so power efficient. The performance per watt is very yeah. good. Is that is that a direct result of the way that the, the risk stuff processes instructions? I don't know Do if it's know? a direct result of the way the risk stuff processes instructions or a direct result of the design goals of the risk process of the arm processors. Over the I see. Years. I see. Okay. Like, like you can make a really power hungry risk chip just like you can make a really okay, sure. efficient sys chip. Sure. Sure. You know, like you, there are some 0.3 watt TDP ix86 processors. Okay. But just you're, you're just not it, getting a lot of performance out of them necessarily. <laughs> well, compared not to, even that. It's people don't use them for the types of things that you use ARM processors for because the market has gone in the ARM direction. Right. right. That's what I mean. Like that's right. why that's why there aren't phones with x86 mobile chips in them. I mean, there are. You just don't know what knows really? what they are. Yeah. What? Yeah, you can buy x86 x86 Android phones, or you Weird. could for a while. I don't know if you still can. That's that's bizarre. Um. So. Okay, so SoftBank bought ARM a few years ago. SoftBank is an investment uh, holding company from Japan. 
uh, who invested in such companies is WeWork, Theranos, and Uber. Oh, no. oh, and, no. uh, they, it's a uh, questionable portfolio. <laughs> look, they, they, look, they've done some stuff that worked out for them, but like, it's not, they've not had great times the last few years. It seems like, and, uh, they sold their stake in, in arm for $40 billion in stock and cash to NVIDIA, or they're trying, they want to, they've announced that they want yes, to, yes. uh, this is a huge deal. Um, it is interesting because they didn't talk about it with investors or regulators before they announced that they want to do this. And there's a, there's a pretty heavy regulatory burden here because, uh, the UK, the U S China, and maybe even Japan are going to care about this. Okay. And, and the everybody, EU, right? uh, well, e- no, cause it's UK. Mm. So probably not the EU by the time the deal has to pass regulatory. Okay, yeah, maybe, maybe not. Um, but, but yeah, like it has, it's, it's going to be a while before this is yeah. active. It, yeah. Uh, you know, this is an announcement of intent, not an announcement of success. Yeah. Um, it, it's interesting. And it's important because there are literally billions of ARM chips shipped every year made by Apple, Qualcomm, Samsung, NVIDIA, uh, and a bunch of other smaller companies that you probably don't know about. Yeah, sure. So should we just rattle off kind of the the most of the typical devices you would find ARM chips in? It's like every it's every iPhone on the market, every just about every Android Almost phone. Almost every on the market. Android phone, yeah. Just damn near every tablet on the market of any kind. Uh, the switch. Uh, well, no, no, because like surfaces and stuff like that are oh, well, all x86. Like, like well, anything. Yeah. yeah, but that's I, I feel like they're sort of stretching the definition of tablet there. Like that's moving. Fair. That's almost moving in the computer laptop kind of space. Well, I mean, it is a laptop. It's the, just a laptop without a keyboard like, attached. Yeah, like the surfaces are weird hybrid devices that are. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, uh, uh, but but, but like, app, any, like the, the iPad, the all the Amazon Fire stuff. Oculus Quest. Yes, yes. Uh, um, uh, the switch, uh, the Nintendo switch is ARM based. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, some routers. Which is shocking. Yes. Oh, they're the Raspberry Pi. Like all practically, yeah. practically all of the the, the entire Mister. the Mister. Well, yeah, the Mister has an ARM core on it in uh, addition to the a, FPGA. Pretty yep. much the entire single board computer scene, like the Raspberry Pi and the all that stuff, is, is ARM based. I haven't torn one apart to see or looked at a teardown, but my guess is like stuff like Alexa's and Google Homes and all of those like Nest screen things, your video doorbells, a lot of your webcam, your like internet connected webcams. Yeah. Um, uh, any kind of internet of home smart device probably has an arm chip in it. Yeah. Um, like, so, internet of things, smart device. Like suffice to say, if it is not a, if it's not an Intel or AMD made x86 based device, like the odds are it's arm. Well, no, there's also MIPS. Well, yeah. So like there, my router, other, well, I didn't want to get into that. That's kind of an edge yeah, case. Yeah. Like my router has a MIPS chip in it, but, but so a lot of networking stuff has MIPS chips because yeah. they're cheaper. In fact, we'll get to that. That is a topic to talk about later, um, but, but arm is in extraordinarily widespread is the point. Also, do you know what else has arm? What's that? The world's fastest supercomputer. Oh, really? Yeah. So supercomputers and data centers have buttloads of arm chips now. Okay. So that is a relatively recent development, right? The last five, 10 years, yeah. probably. Yeah. 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 Uh, and the reason the reason that happens is because in a data center, in a supercomputer context, uh, well, OK, data, two different use cases. Data centers care a lot about uh, performance per watt and yeah. performance, per, uh, both in terms of heat generated and power consumed. Yeah, I feel like you, you hear a lot about the cooling needs of a data center, right? Like to the extent well, to the extent that that sometimes helps dictate where they're built. Stuff there's like a reason that data centers get built on the Columbia river in Oregon. And it's because there's a lot of hydroelectric power and yeah. a lot of cool water. Yeah. Um, so 
so yeah, you see, um, basically that that's where we're at is, is like, there are some places where you want a big giant x86 or x64 CPU with, a, a, you know, hundreds of cores and the whole thing. Yeah. But also there are places that there that you're going to want something that's lower power and less a little bit less capable, maybe, but also does exactly what you need it to in the place. Do you ever want to just hang out in a data center? They're are really you, loud. Are you, well, I'm sure you'd probably want some noise canceling. I bet noise canceling headphones would work extremely well in that white noise kind of environment. But like, are probably. you are you as because like, well, that's that's the yeah. ideal that's the ideal use case for noise canceling headphones. But are you are you as big a fan of air conditioning as I am? I mean, right now, yes, I am 100 percent a fan of air conditioning. I would love to have air conditioning. Don't, it seems like it'd be really nice. How cool do you think it is in your average data center? Don't you want to just Very, like, don't you want to just go in there and like lie down on the floor for a while? So I've never been in a data center. I've been in a supercomputer before, and it is it is it was not a comfortable environment for oh, humans. Is it too cold? It was very cold. Really? Are we um, talking? Are we talking like convenience store walk-in freezer type cold or what? Surely not that cold. Uh, it was not. No, it was not forty degrees. It was okay. probably sixty-five. Okay. Oh, that it was chilly. Good. That sounds pretty I mean, good. It, look. I was in Texas and it was great for the first minute or two. Mm. And then you're like, oh, man, it's kind of cold in here. Okay. It's You know, when you're walking through the through the grocery store in the summertime and you get mm. into the like the freezer aisle yeah. or the open the butter aisle where that where the refrigerators are all open, wasting a ton of energy every yeah. day. It's like that one where you're oh, like, oh, man, I wish I wasn't wearing shorts right now. But this sounds, feels OK. That sounds great. Yeah. Um, so so if, any, if anybody can get us into a data center, let me know. Uh, the supercomputer angle is interesting too, because in supercomputers they use ARM processors to reduce latency and and like kind of traffic cop uh, a lot of the interactions between the other processors in the in the uh, in the in the setup. Uh, and different supercomputers have different requirements. Like I, I spoke to somebody who works on supercomputers that do fluid dynamics calculations, where like they're trying to figure out how wind interacts with skyscrapers. To, to affect weather patterns in big cities. And in order to do that, like every part, every particle that simulates a bit of wind has to be able to talk to every other particle because they all interact. And you end up with these massively complex situations where latency really matters. And if this, if one part of the simulation gets out of sync with the others, then the whole thing has to be scrapped and started over. So like they build these clusters so that, so that there's of negligible latency from one side to the other. And you need a bunch of CPUs like evenly distributed through the network to do to, that, to, to manage that. Am I, am I right in assuming that maybe the arm cores in that scenario are not handling the heavy math of the simulation or they're just doing the, like you said, the traffic hopping, the bookkeeping to keep everything in sync and that sort of thing. Probably some like, of both, but I don't know. Okay. I'm not an expert. Okay, that is not, that is a level like, of granularity just, that I do not have on this. Yeah. Topic. Like, I mean, yeah, I'm just sort of like throwing that question out into the ether, but I would wonder if they're using like some kind of ASIC or something like GPU ask almost to handle the heavy compute well, aspect, yeah, aspect of that task. So but my understanding is that they're set up in a way that they, that, that you have processors that are tuned for specific things. So like you'll have X86 cores for doing lots of big floating point math. Right. right. Um, That's what I was like, getting at. Like that, that, that is, that is pipelineable and deep. And then you'll do GPU cores for massively parallel stuff where you need thousands upon thousands upon thousands of cores, not hundreds of cores. Um, and then, yeah, I think the arm processors are going to be the, the kind the, of the glue. making sure everybody gets fed. Yes. Basically yes. all the, all the different cores are getting, getting the data they need in, in the right time. Um, so 
Okay, so like, why does NVIDIA want ARM? Why does NVIDIA want ARM? Well, you know, they, they like having data uh, market share. Yes. And um, if you look at NVIDIA is right now a video game graphics company. Sure. they very much want to be the machine learning AI hardware provider. Um, and, and you can tell that by looking at how they're pushing Ampere to workstations and data centers. Yeah. You can look at the fact that they're putting 10,000, 10, uh, 10,000 shader cores on these GPUs with like dedicated machine learning units and, and uh, arm also you can get dedicated machine learning acceleration on arm chips now. Yeah. And like um, we should we should mention like a lot of Nvidia's own messaging around this deal pertains to AI specifically. Like they like the line I pulled out here is that so ARM is based in Cambridge and they said that they want to turn the Cambridge location into quote a new global center of excellence in AI research. Yes. Uh, it, well, and and it, like if you think about Nvidia's path over the last 20 years, you know, cuz this is like a 24-year-old 23-year-old company now. That they, they they looked at the PC graphics market and were like, look, we can build, we can start building these. A, there's a market for PC graphics, but B, this market provides a path to massively parallel machine learning accelerators, ray tracing accelerators, all of that stuff. And, and, you know, they, they used the market demand for games and 3D graphics to, 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 do to pay for the R and D to get to the point that they had machine learning processors. Uh, Can we, Um, um, can we just generally use the terms AI and machine learning interchangeably in this context? Cause they use, they use AI in most of their messaging. uh, I think AI is the more consumer friendly term. Right. right, right. But but just to be clear, they mean basically the same thing. Yeah. I mean, we could just call it, you know, linear statistical linear math, but (laughs) it's, you know, people are going to be less interested in that. Um, But yeah, machine learning and AI essentially, I mean, I'm just trying to clarify. I I would say machine learning is probably a subset of AI if we wanted to be highly technical, but I don't think it matters. Okay. Um, So uh, NVIDIA has sold ARM chips chips in the past. The the Tegra uh, is in the switch. It was in the NVIDIA shield and the shield pro i still think is, I yeah yeah still is i mean yeah they've i, I looked at the tigre uh, roadmap before this and like they've got a new one on the way uh, it, course, I, mean, I mean well you know, whatever there are rumors about a new switch next year so like there would be oh, a new a new coincidence one, a new one in that for example um uh, but well but but like they haven't made big inroads into the phone market there were a couple oh. of phones that shipped on tegra a few years ago was that razor phone on nvidia I feel like maybe uh, it's, the gamer phone. <laughs> it it seemed like their performance per watt was not way like the, the which in turn meant you had bad battery life on the phone. Yeah. wasn't where you wanted it. Um, right. But it's been pretty good on like the switch. While the initial launch switch didn't have the best battery life, it was it's more than sufficient for like what I've been using right uh, over the last four years or five years or however long it's been. So, so one one thought I had about this acquisition, like obviously there's there's data centers and supercomputer stuff. There's machine learning research. Like there's a lot of applications for this. But like uh-huh. you tell me if this is an accurate perception of the mobile market, like Apple's arm based chips are like insane, right? God tier. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like they hired they went out and hired like some of the best chip signers in the world, right? Of course, and spend they, billions of dollars because, because on, they, they yeah. have unthinkable amounts of money. But my understanding of the Android market is like the Qualcomm's and like the Android, the arm chips in that space just don't keep up. Right. With that. Um, I don't think it's, it's that they spec up. Like if you look at bad necessarily, it's just that. Well, it's, it's a different situation. Cause like 
Apple knows what their software team is doing and they yeah, have the software. They tune their software roadmap to the hardware roadmap so yeah. they can like really get everything out of every bit of silicon that they put in that chip. Right. If if say, you know, if you're LG and you're buying a Qualcomm processor, you probably aren't going to spend the billion dollars a year that you need to 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 turn that off the shelf processor into a the custom processor like Apple does. Totally. But but the, the I mean the point I'm getting at is like to use the most recent example when the iPhone SE came out like all the reviews were just like it is insane the performance advantage that this budget apple phone has over the current flagship android phones so what i'm getting at is like i wonder if nvidia maybe sees an opportunity to become like the dominant uh soc supplier in the android space off of this so my guess is that they're probably going to pull out of the Android SOC space as huh. part of the regulatory oh. burden for this deal. To Interesting. Happen. Yes, I actually. Yeah, I was, that, that's totally a good point. That, that, that's like antitrust like, stuff. Notwithstanding, could they possibly be looking to do that? I, I think NVIDIA is more interested in the data center and making sure that things like TensorFlow cores end up in other people's phones. OK. Because um, that, that, this, this exact idea was floated as well in some of the Android press that I that I looked at or some of the, the Android media market and like people speculating that like, you know, there's kind of nothing stopping NVIDIA from holding the, the, the best of like, you know, they can keep licensing. I think the regulatory mm. stuff in China and the UK Maybe would so. Maybe probably so. be the thing that stops that. The idea to expand on it is just that they, they could keep licensing the arm designs that they currently make to the, the same oh. customers, but that they could like have a slightly competitive, a slightly more competitive version that yeah, they only... they'll keep the good one for themselves right or something I, along those lines i would be shocked if that is allowed to happen in okay like in the u.s i wouldn't be surprised if it's allowed to happen i, I was gonna the say EU like, in maybe the uk is, that's not gonna fly maybe maybe this is just expressing my complete lack of faith in any kind of antitrust action to ever take place again um I, unless, I it's, think unless it's, it's politically more, motivated i think well it's, here's the thing given that nvidia has essentially no market share in that space right now my guess is that they sacrifice the potential future there for licensing out instruction set. Cause here's the thing is if they do something too anti-competitive, there are other similar, but not say, you know, not directly compatible instruction sets yeah, we use out there, we will including get some open stuff. Yes. Yeah, so we, we, that stuff, that stuff is probably, it's not even arm related necessarily, but it, that's probably the actual most fascinating aspect of this topic, but we'll, we'll get to that. Yeah. So, so I don't, I, I think my guess is that NVIDIA will protect the switch and shield business for set top boxes. And because because honestly, like if you're thinking about NVIDIA, if NVIDIA's Tegra problem is that they perform really well, but their performance per watt and battery life are bad. Tablets make a ton of sense, like the switch, like the shield tablet uh, set top boxes make a ton of sense where your performance per watt is less important. As long as you can passively cool it, nobody cares. So I, I think I think we'll see them sacrifice the ability to be in phones because it, like it's not like they're not. Is it here's the question you need to ask is, is it better for NVIDIA to make a little bit of money on every single one of the one or two billion phones that are sold every year or to make a lot of money on some small percentage of the market because they piss everybody off and they all switch to MIPS or whatever? Sure, sure. Um, yes, that is a, that is an actual exact question I have when we get to the MIPS and Risk Five stuff, but I'll, I'll yeah. save I'll save that for now. Um, um, I I think it's like I said I think it's much more likely that we'll see it go the other way where Nvidia makes Tensor cores 
and th- and and things like that, like specific parts of the current GPU architecture, th- things like their H.264 and H.265 sure. live encoders, which are really good, um, make them available to ARM licensees. Okay, so, so what you're along saying with the other IP, what you're saying is it's, it's less likely that NVIDIA is going to take the ARM tech and kind of pull it behind their curtain and more likely that some of the NVIDIA tech is going to bleed back into the publicly available ARM stuff. I, I would I would really, really hope that the regulatory one of the three or four regulatory agencies involved would ensure that that doesn't happen. Right. So like an example is like ARM has a, a GPU design that they can license along with the, the CPU stuff. Yeah. But but like you're, yeah. you're, you're saying that like NVIDIA, NVIDIA graphics could end up replacing that Molly GPU design. Or, yeah, for example, or even some even some subset like right. small bits and pieces. The, the other thing is like their power VR has a whole uh arm gpu division like they sell a buttload of arm gpus too like there's there there are there have been three companies making arm gpus for a while for four if you count apple even though they don't sell those to external vendors um like like there's the beautiful thing about arm is if lg wants or if qualcomm wants uh, wants nvidia's gpu they can do that if they want their own gpu they can do that if they want power pc they can do that and you can you can assemble the chips however you want it's up to you it's like lego but way more complicated and expensive to build um so yeah i like i think that's it i think and i and so the outside edge case for this is that i think we're going to see NVIDIA dropping ARM CPUs in weird places in the future. Hmm. Like we saw a little bit of this with the Ampere stuff and the direct the direct storage API to accelerate um, storage, which in reality isn't going to start happening for like two or three years because it takes the APIs a while to roll out. Um, I, I think we'll see in the next five or 10 years, we'll see NVIDIA dropping ARM CPUs on GPUs. Interesting. To, to reduce the, uh, uh, simply because there's often math that you need to do in games that is latency dependent. Like this is one of the benefits consoles have. Sure. Is that because the consoles use shared GPU memory, CPU memory pools where the CPU and GPU are both talking to the same memory all the time. It's really inexpensive for the GPU to pass something off to the CPU and then come back to this, to the GPU again. Also the CPU and the GPU are on the same die. So there is no often. Yeah. There, there's no system bus to communicate over. Right. Between and, the two. And whereas on the PC, the GPU has to talk ac- across the PCI Express bus, right. which like on a GPU that's running at 3000, you know, thousands of megahertz, you're looking at f- sometimes five or 10 or 20 clock cycles on the GPU before a communication can happen across the PCI Express bus. Anyway, my, my one question about that idea of including like ARM designs on a graphics card, for example, is like, I mean, would, would you agree that NVIDIA probably employs a lot of the best integrated circuit designers in the world at this point? I, it would be hard for me to say that, but okay, sure. The, uh, the results are good. That's what I mean. Like the, yeah. <laughs> the proof is in the pudding there, it seems, but like, do you think like a general purpose, like arm setup on a graphics card would make more sense than like, I, or let me back up. What They seem really good at designing logic on their cards built for purpose, right? Or designed for purpose. Like, like, yes. this, like this direct storage stuff, like you assume that there is hardware on those GPUs that is very good at decompressing that data. Like, agreed. Would it, would it make sense to have a more general purpose unit on there as opposed to just designing whatever you need? Look, it's not outside the realm of possibility that we're going to be plugging NVMe drives onto your video card huh. in in okay, five sure. years. Okay, so right? at, that, at that point, a very small, low power ARM core that handled that I.O. would make sense or something like yeah. that? I see. Yeah. 
Okay. Like, like, like that's kind of what I was getting at with the, a couple weeks ago when we did the, the G for the 3080 stuff. When I it's, mentioned, I mentioned that the graphics card is rapidly becoming like the central feature of a PC. Hey guys, like, plug your mouse into your video card right. for the best performance. Right. Like yeah. have, have your video card handle your storage IO now, you know, like at some point the graphics card is the computer. Well, I mean, that's what that's what Jen Sun's been trying to make happen for 20 years. Right. That's what I mean. Like, it he, feels like we're moving toward that where like, what does this? I mean, obviously you need a CPU, but like it's increasingly marginalized. It seems like it was it was literally a talking point, I think, around the like the GeForce, probably the 5800 launch, 5900 launch, maybe when they started doing compute on like general purpose compute on GPUs. He's like, yeah, this is going to be the most important processor in your computer from now on. Right. And, and, you know, turns out probably sounded hyperbolic then, but it was probably correct. Like I, I'm trying to, I'm like, I'm trying to conceptualize in my head, the weird fuzzy shifting line between the graphics card and like, say the motherboard, like, like well, for, for expansion purposes, it would never make sense to turn a graphics card into a motherboard and literally have the GPU on the board well, and I mean, just plug what, a CPU into it. But like, it feels like we're kind of like that, that distinction is becoming less meaningful. Does that make like sense? Yeah. Well, when you look at those big compute clusters where they have like a huge board with a shitload of PCI slots and lanes, and then you just drop eight boards into it with one CPU, like the 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 amount of power that goes to doing the GPU math versus the CPU math is is strongly, strongly, strongly in favor of the GPU side. Right. right. It's a weird like computers are going to be real weird in about 10 years. Yeah, that's totally. The, that's the totally, TLDR. Totally. That's kind of what I'm getting at. You know, like at some point, if the graphics card is handling 90 percent of your system functionality anyway, why not just make that the whole system? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean. It, it's I, I'm interested there are people in our audience, I know, who are further into this down this rabbit hole of what computers look like in 10 years than we are. Yes, I, I I'm literally, really I curious literally to hear their reaction to yeah, this conversation. Yeah. I, I literally copied and pasted a conversation out of the discord a few days ago about like where CPUs are going in the next 10 to 15 years that like. Frankly, made my head explode. Like yeah. some really wild stuff in there. Well, I, I mean, it, and this isn't like this isn't. It's not idle speculation. Like, look at what a computer looked like in two in two thousand. When I moved to California, I think I had a dual core uh, Celeron machine, so two physical packages socketed into two sockets on the motherboard, and like the difference in that computer and the computer that is in my pocket now is astounding. Orders and of magnitude, and, right? Yeah, it's because of ARM. Yeah. Um, and like everything, the the wireless internet connection is better than my wired internet connection was. My screen is way higher resolution. I can do more things at the same time than I could then. Like it's, it's yeah, it's bonkers. The whole thing's crazy. Yes. Yeah. The, the acceleration of development of technology has been pretty dizzying for me. Not to, it's a lot of, not to get yeah, off on a lot of that old, is on arm. Like not, the, not to get the, off the on rise of, uh, the rise of phones that move billions of units a year like led left the opportunity to really push the technology because there was a lot of money at stake and, and yeah. Yeah. But just, you know, I mean, not to get off on some old man rant, but like if you, if you started on, if you started out with parallel ports and text mode, only (laughs) text mode, only displays and that, that sort of thing, like where we are now versus where we are then is like quite frankly, hard to grapple with sometimes. It has been a long road. Yeah. Um, but also a a short one. I mean, I, yeah, you remember, I remember taking, you know, hours to download a one megabyte driver. Yeah. 
<clears throat> yeah. Uh, so, Brad, what do you think this means for phones? Three hundred baud. Oh God, I never had a three hundred baud. I was. I, I started with a fourteen four. Yeah, I think. so did I. I didn't. I didn't either. I just. Okay. I know it existed. I'm sorry. What were you asking? Uh, look, I I couldn't hear you. My audio coupler was came off the oh. phone, so uh, <laughs> I, we got to resync this <laughs> modem call. Jam the thing back in there. You got to rerun your init string. Um, what what does this mean for phones? For phones? For phones? Oh, oh you mean Arm. like right now? Yeah, right now. Well, why, is buying arm shit. We, I, we, is my phone going to be bad now? We covered ah. we, we covered my apparently abortive idea that they were going to try to dominate the Android space. So probably not a ton at the moment. Maybe maybe the Android, uh, like you said, the Android SOCs get better GPUs or something like that, or more machine learning acceleration, something like that. But like that's That'd probably my guess. five, maybe not five, but like. That's probably like minimum three, four years away from showing up and shipping products, right? With the regulatory overhead and the R&D I, to product cycle lead times and stuff like that. I, I think they suggested that this is going to take 18 months to get approval and maybe close. Right. So, yeah, I think my my assumption is. My assumption is there's not going to be too much work happening by other parties on anything that comes out of this until that deal is closed. This is here's like a really high level legal and business question. Is there anything to stop them from beginning R and D with this purchase in mind prior to the deal being fully approved? Like I have no idea. Yeah. Right. Like I, I don't know any, I, I, I quite literally don't know anybody who would know the answer to that question. I mean, so we need like, I, we need like high level, like IP lawyer types and regulatory like antitrust law types to answer a question like that. Right. The amount of anxiety I had when I had bought a house but hadn't closed on it yet and had gotten the keys and started knocking holes in the walls right. was very high. Okay, so I that's, can't imagine. That's literally that question, right? Like, are yeah. they, are, is it okay for them to start knocking holes in the drywall before the... I don't, I don't, I honestly they, don't before know. Before they've got the deed in their hands. I mean, do they exchange IP? I guess, I mean, I probably know. not because it's all proprietary not. and secret. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah. probably right. You're probably right. Um, uh, I mean, but I assume they're talking, I assume like they start... I assume anytime you have like I know in media spaces, because I've worked with some people who went through a giant merger recently, like they were talking to everybody was talking to everybody, but nothing was happening. But everybody knew what was coming. Yeah. So I'd say that's probably what happened. I don't, I don't yeah. know. I'm curious to hear what people think. Like, do you ever do you, do you ever have the video? Send us an email or do you have, signal me. Uh, do, you, do, you, <laughs> do you ever have this tendency when you see a deal of this magnitude? I mean, like you said, this is like basically the practically the biggest deal that's ever been made. Do you ever have a tendency to look at that and try to ascribe some kind of like organization and method to the whole thing? Like think what do you like, mean? like, oh, there must be a plan like fully written down and they know exactly what they're doing and they're going to execute it. But like then what the what you just described is the actual reality of it's actually just a bunch of human beings flailing around well, trying trying to figure it out for a period of months to years. Right. I mean, you don't spend 40 billion dollars if you don't have a plan for what you want to do with the with the thing you're buying. Right. 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 But but it's not all set in stone. You know, I it mean, is, I think I think everything's fluid and there, like there's, there's some there's parts much, of the arm business that are getting spun off that yeah. NVIDIA didn't want stuff like that. Yeah, there, I mean, there's there's much more of a, a human like a, a in the moment kind of human element to the decision making, right? Than you might think. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Um, I, I'm I'm like it, it's a I was a little 40 billion dollars is a staggering amount of money. Given the scale of that arm business, I was a little bit surprised that it was only forty billion dollars. I could see that, sure. Like I arm when arm sold a few years ago for twenty or thirty billion, whatever it was, I was kind of surprised that it was only like it. it I, I assume that the licensing fees aren't onerous. 
yeah. per chip. Okay, well, that is a good segue into the next topic then, because I was wondering about that exact thing. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm, <clears throat> I'm curious. I mean, these are very not public numbers. It's, it's funny. It's, it's even hard. I was trying to figure out how much of the global Microsoft processor business, like across all architectures and all, all markets arm represented because mm. I, I, it has to be a significant portion. Um, but I like that stuff is even all buried in, in really expensive analyst reports about microprocessor arc, you know, like if I wanted to pay five or $6,000, I could have gotten a report that would let me know exactly how much microprocessor, uh, business arm gets and what their licensing model looks like. But I, I didn't spend that five grand, Brad. Sounds, I'm sorry. Sounds, sounds like we need a $5,000 tier on the Patreon next yeah. month to get this analyst report yeah. in our hands. We'll do, you give us the 5,000 bucks. We'll buy one analyst report a month. That's right. That's right. And you know, we'll if, put it right back into the pod. You could, you could just send us the report if you have it. I won't tell yeah, anybody. Yeah, look, the tech pod and content that down. <laughs> um, so yeah, like that, I guess that brings us to kind of the last big topic here, which you have written these notes as, are there alternatives to ARM for phones? Not really right now, but not, maybe not soon. Yet, but yeah, it seems like it's getting there. Well, I mean, um, it, Intel has been trying to push an x86 that part for phones for a really long time. Yeah, Nobody's good, biting. Good luck with that, as we um, said. But but I think uh, MIPS and RISC-V have both like Risk, shown... RISC-V. Is it RISC-V? Yeah, it's RISC-V. Oh, I it's thought the it was fifth, it's the fifth. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. That sounds better, but it's it is the fifth generation of risk. If it was according, well, according why is the to hyphen them, in there, if it's five, according to them, it's right there on the Wikipedia page, man. I hate this. I don't know what to tell you. I regret. <laughs> look, I was pro. So risk five is um, risk V pronounced risk five. God, it's literally how the Wikipedia page starts. That also okay. came out of Berkeley, actually. So I, I looked into it while we were talking about it. We were both right earlier. Okay. The, the concept of risk started at Berkeley, but then MIPS was the company that spun off of that research ah. and was the first commercial entity to offer a risk. But uh, like, it seems like seems situation. like there was parallel development happening in other places at the same time, because like DC probably. had a MIPS chip and all or a risk chip and all that. Is that, um, is that like how calculus was created by more than one person simultaneously? Leibniz and Leibniz Newton. And Leibniz and Newton yes. Yeah. Um, but Newton uh, got the win, though, because he spoke English, it turns yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, he had a better publicist, I think. Yes. Yeah, that whole Apple thing is very easy to remember. <laughs> yeah, also <laughs> apocryphal. Yes, probably. I'm sure, I'm sure. But, so, you know, there's a little bit of public myth-making goes a long way in getting people yeah. to remember you, it turns um, out. Um, so, yeah, which one do we want to talk about? So, well, it's uh, kind of the Risk same topic. Five, well, RISC-V is going to be is an open open source uh, it's, it's literally It's literally an open source instruction set the way that open source software is, yeah. is free, so you uh, freely can, available. You can take that instruction set and add like a few billion dollars and uh, hundreds of people and maybe thousands of people and you can have a CPU in a few years. Yeah, I guess that's the big difference here is that like um, a single programmer can take an open source repository and do something cool with it. And the barrier is very low. Depends on the repository, but yeah. Well, you know what I mean, though, like like a single person can develop software pretty effectively depending on what they're doing and how skilled they are. But like. To take an open instruction set and actually turn it into a tangible product takes like unthinkable, unthinkable amounts of dollars. money and skill to design the chip. Like getting chips made is incredibly expensive and difficult. You know, like it's not like like, you know, some little garage startup is not going to take this and change the world. Right. Like it's I mean, they might. Well, maybe it's not, that's maybe. not out of the question. I guess like, not. It's, I guess it's not. not um, it, this isn't. 
I, I still firmly, you know, that that's a, that's a really good question. Like, is there, is this, is, is this still a market that a garage startup or even like a billion dollar startup can, can compete in? Maybe it's a, the, probably the thing that, that, uh, stuck out to me in reading about risk five is it's something about arm actually that I didn't really, it had never occurred to me, which is that like risk five being open, you can take the literal base instruction set and do whatever you want with it. Right. Uh, I did not realize that an ARM license is not anywhere near that permissive. You're essentially like you can you can extend the ARM designs, but not that much in comparison. Does that make sense? Like it sounds like you're you're largely kind of taking the cores that ARM offers with some customizations that you can specify, but you can't like you cannot just take the ARM instruction set and license it and then make your own chip from the ground you, up. With no, it. you can do that. That's can what you? Apple did specifically. Oh, so okay, but, but this, this thing I was reading was wrong about that. Then, well, well, what you're saying is you can't license the instructions for ARM. And and then you know build your own chip. They'll they'll like like a lot of businesses. If the price is right, you can do what you can do the thing you're looking for, right? Sure, but like, but maybe that's like written into the licensing agreement, and then it costs more or something like that, right? Like, right. That's what I'm getting at. Is like, it's not you're not just going to pay ARM a flat rate, take those instructions, and then go off to the races and do your own thing. Yeah, if you're if you're if you license the Cortex A9, you're licensing the chunks that make up the Cortex A9, that's, that's and then how you at. assemble them is up to you. That's what I'm getting at. Is you whereas the the difference is with something like Risk Five or actually now MIPS, which we're getting to, you can take the literal instructions and like build your own CPU core from the ground up. Is my yeah, under, the, is my understanding, and and that is so. I'm going to be interested to see if open source projects can handle this. My guess is that probably they can't Hmm. like, it seems like too big a thing for the typical chaos of an open, of a big open source project. I could see that. Um, And so should should we, I also don't know. Should we mention the MIPS stuff before we get too much? Yeah. The MIPS stuff, the MIPS stuff is interesting. So they have opened, they have open sourced their architecture, which like you said, has been around since the eighties, right? Like MIPS, my router has a MIPS 64 CPU, for example. Yeah, so like, like a, a lot of networking hardware is powered by MIPS processors. So, so it's really interesting, especially interesting in the context of my router, the Edge Router 4, because like I, I SSH into it, it's just running Debian, but it is a, you know, it had obviously by nature, it has to be a MIPS 64 compiled version of Debian. Yeah. So like when I'm going on, when I go on there and add like the app repository to look around for like software to install on there, like there, there have to be MIPS 64 compiled versions of those, of those, those binaries available to actually do anything with them. You know what I mean? It's, um, it's, but, but like, it's an interesting, like it's, if you look at ARM as embedded processors, which is what we would have called these like 10 years ago, um, MIPS is the original kind right. of embedded processor, right, right? Right. Right. But but I think there was even a MIPS version of Windows NT up up that until four. Sounds right because I think they were in workstations back then, right? Yeah they they were they were early risk chips and people were excited about them, so they ended up in weird places. Um, so this um, article was, this article you linked basically makes it sound like MIPS has just lost dramatic amounts of market share to ARM over the years. Well, that's the so the challenge is that as ARM has developed more performance per watt for higher end CPUs for higher end SOCs for phones. They, they still have like a really deep well of designs that go back, uh, you know, and can scale down to less capable devices that don't need it. Don't need the same kind of hardware. Um, but yeah, they still, 
there are 10 billion chips shipped that use MIPS, I think, is what oh, they wow. advertise. Okay. So. Well, <laughs> like it's, not a, it's not exactly nothing. Like a small chip manufacturer still is selling billions and billions okay. of chips. Okay, that's fair. But but the point is they have now opened their architecture. Yeah. Just just like RISC-V, except they are a commercial company that has also made this open. So, yeah, like th- there are uh, – so the the takeaway on this, if the, if the question we're answering is are there alternatives for ARM for phones – the answer kind of not right now, but maybe in the future. Well, it's they're like, they're available. It's just nobody has done the insane amount of legwork it would take to actually implement them in that role. Yeah. And in the time scale, like if we're looking at, you know, two to three years to close this deal, is there a way like, will there can could Apple switch from arm to MIPS or arm to risk V five, whatever risk five, risk five. Um, could they in the time like, I wonder if if Apple would have committed to full arm after this deal closed. I know that's been a thing that's been in, in, obviously in the works for 10 years on their side. Yeah. But Apple and NVIDIA have a kind of inimical relationship that mm. that is not been great and i'll be interested to see how they react to this yes so that was like when you mentioned like maybe the arm licensing fees are not actually that high like that was the exact question i wanted to address with this was would apple switch is it worth it like you know apple being like one of the most cash rich companies in the world right is it and and with the number of devices they sell like are the licensing fees on arm just low enough that it's not worth the investment for them to switch to a a licensing free kind of situation so there's Multiple components. One is that ARM has been optimized relentlessly for the last 13 years in a way that these other architectures have not. Yeah. Like they're not as fully understood. Right. They don't know where the slow and the fast, where the bottlenecks are. They don't like we don't have institutional knowledge in how to design really fast, capable MIPS processors or RISC-V processors for right. phones and and other tablets and, and set-top boxes. Like I'm just I'm just throwing this out there, but this would probably be at least like what a decade long undertaking yeah, to implement. I, yeah, my guess is that Apple looked at the power performance curves on ARM in like 2007 when they started selling iPhones and they were like, hey, you know, if this continues at this rate, the Intel line and the ARM line are going to cross in about 2020, 2018. And at that point, we could start not doing Intel chips anymore if we wanted. And that's been the process this whole time yeah. that's been in the works this whole time. So, yeah, it's a, we're, you're looking at 10 years from now, from the starting line to when you start seeing viable competitors shipping and, and and like everything else, you'll start seeing like weird dev kits two or three years before the actual viable products get done. Like, you know, if you think back to that first Chromebook Intel released, it was slow and useless. And then two years later, they're pretty nice and yeah. and yeah. worth having. Yeah. So. But some of the, the just the little bit of been reading about these open architectures like analysts in that space seem pretty bullish on their future though i i would i i think that's i think i think anytime you get a monolithic company like the people will be hedging by will be investing in these as a hedge against yes, nvidia, yes, in, right, against right, nvidia behaving yes. badly we've got, we've got one gigantic company now controlling a frightening amount of this space yeah uh these are yes alternatives that might become more relevant in the future yeah so that's i guess that's it yeah it's a fascinating topic it's like we're obviously not neither hardware designers nor programmers it's like no, pretty nor he- analysts pretty frankly. heady heady stuff here and we're just kind of trying to make sense of it as best we can but i think it's fascinating look man it's a confusing world and we just want to we just want to figure out what's going on out there yeah 
Um, we've reached the portion of the show where we thank our patrons. Yeah. Uh, the currently 1,090 people Jeez. who like what we do enough yeah. to give us uh, money thank or want to get access to the Discord or yeah. want to hear the patron exclusive episode every yes, month. Yes, yes. Or, or um, just want us to continue to keep doing this. Yeah, uh, you can find out how to support the Patreon at uh, patreon.com slash techpod. Uh, next week is our email episode. Is it? Yeah. Okay, that's good. That it's means I've, of got, the month already. I've got one more episode's worth of buffer before I have to finish that book. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you got two weeks, <laughs> maybe to, three, depending on whether we do. It's yeah. good to know. It's good to know what kind of time frame you're working with. Look, just Sunday afternoon, Brad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just need to find a sunbeam and kind of relax in it. Uh, but but yeah, so we're going to I'll open up a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy channel uh, in the discord this week. So okay. if patrons want to discuss it, then they will be able to. Um, we've had a lot of, as always, lovely conversations. I learn something new every time I dip into the discord. Um, and like I learned about panorama stitching of of uh taking uh, how how photography on mars works the other day Crime? which was amazing Crime? uh one of uh, just just talking about how the panorama is stitched and how you do like self-inspections of the wheels and the rover and all that stuff it was awesome super we have, cool we have someone there who works on it yeah yeah um so uh, if you want to find out how to, more about how to join the Patreon or back the show, it's two bucks to get access to the Discord. And you can find out about that at patreon.com slash tech pod. Uh, as always, thank you to our executive producer level patrons, Andrew Cotton, David Allen, and Jacob Chappell. Yes, thank you so uh, much. And everybody who supports the show. Yeah. Yes, thank you to everyone. Um, and if you can't support the show financially, tell your friends. We yeah. we had uh, so many good tweets last week. I, I had to stop yeah. retweeting them all yes. because I didn't want to be spammy. Um, a lot of very, very I, we appreciate you friendly and flattering tweets out there. I should, maybe I should start using Twitter again. I don't know. <laughs> Look, Brad, I don't know. let's I don't not know. get crazy here. I don't know, man. Uh, you know what? I, I, I have found the secret to no bummer Twitter. Yeah. Well, it's not no, but it's mostly no bummer. Twitter. <laughs> Speaking you of turn off free tweets. Okay. And you do that by just going to twitter.com and typing in the mute filters area. Yeah. You do a keyword mute for RT colon uh, oh, and then was, they go away forever. I was, I was going to say, I, I was surprised that they built that functionality in, but it sounds oh, like they, they didn't. Don't. They didn't, but you figured I, it out. I told a Twitter engineer that you could do this the other day by accident uh -oh. and, or an ex Twitter oh, no. engineer oh, no. that you could do this and I might've fucked us, but oh, I, no. I apologize if I did. Um, and then uh, also, if you filter out HTTPS colon slash slash, you'll Ooh. get rid of almost all the links. Wow. I think images still come through. So it's nothing. But it's nobody promoting bullshit, which okay. I realize is a little bit hypocritical on my <laughs> part, but whatever. <laughs> and that. yeah, because the thing is, people see something that they feel like, oh, man, this is important, but I don't want to talk about this. It's a huge bummer. Yeah. I'll just smash the retweet button. I've done my job. Yeah. And then it's just everybody's just retweeting shit that bums them out. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah. Anyway, Twitter's bad, uh, mm. but the tech pod is good. So yeah. thank you all for supporting yes, we us. Are, we appreciate yes, we it. We are a, we are a better Twitter. Yes. Well, and the, but the thing is the discord is the thing, like I get out of the discord now, what I used to get out of Twitter when Twitter was good yeah. in like 2008 yeah. Yeah. and it was just me goofing with my friends. And in 2008, I was getting out of Twitter what I previously got out of IRC. So yeah, like and, whatever, this is a whole, con this is a whole episode topic, but I think it's, I think the internet is, in undertaking a process of wrapping back around to smaller, more enclosed communities again, what, perhaps. Wait, hold on. 
where did you get out of what did you get out of I did we get did we replace human contact with IRC in the 90s is that what happened I mean that's very presumptuous of you to think that I had human contact in the first place <laughs> oh, okay Look, there were not a lot of people importing weird <laughs> Japanese PlayStation games in my little podunk rural town let's that's say the reason you were the anime editor I guess for so long I had to go far afield fair to find like minds let's let's say fair um, okay, well, we'll see you next week. If you have questions, send them into techpod at content.town. We're doing questions next week, so please send us some good ones. And we will see you all next time. Bye, everybody. Bye.